This morning, we thank you that we can gather, and, and our gathering is about you. It really is not about us. It is about you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help me to let this um, next time of us of just sharing the word, that it will be indeed about you. And help us, Lord, in our journey of, of trying to become more like Christ, that even today's steps will help us towards that. We trust you for it. In Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen. So we, we're on the series, The King and I, and, and we've kind of been into Matthew 5 for a while, where we spoke first about the things that, that Jesus says, the, character, um, the characteristics or, or um, the character of followers of Christ ought to look like. And we spoke about blessed are those that are this and that and that. It was what we call the Beatitudes. And we have, for the last couple of weeks, been speaking about the code of way or the, or the way of behaving of followers of Jesus ought to look like. And so it's been quite an incredible journey because Jesus uses those five words. Remember those five words that he comes up with, but I say to you. That he, that he interrupts the thinking of the people and he brings out a different concept and a different principle. And so Clive did very well last week speaking about oaths and, and our, the promises that we made and that we, you know, we say something but we do another thing and, and Jesus says, no, 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 you know, you've got to do what you say. You don't have to swear, just, just keep your word, that's all. And so we're carrying on um, in Matthew 5, but I want to just from the slides here, um, and we've got them, hey. Um, there's, a, there's a thing that I want you to look at. Um, a man by the name of C.T. Studd once wrote an incredible um, poet. Or not poet, he's a poet. He's, he wrote a poem, hey. Um, and he wrote the following, and, and it's one line that repeats, or two lines that's repeated over and over in this poem of his. It says, only one life, it will soon be passed, this one life that we have. Only what's done for Christ will last. Very powerful statement that he said. Apologies for the screen, it's not working this morning. But you can still see. Only one life, it will soon be passed. I don't know when that soon is in my life. None of us know. But somewhere it's going to come to an end. Uh-huh. But what matters most is what we do for Christ. Because those are the things that will last. And when we go into this morning's focus, I want to um, share with you about a couple of things that I think... It's going to perhaps shake you. You're going to, I mean, let's just look at it now and be amazed and laugh and whatever else, and then we carry, carry on. Um, there's four different objects here that I want to use in, in our preach this morning to help us understand that, that there's one life to live, and, and this life here on earth is sometimes challenging. How many of you know that? <laughs> this side again, they're responding earlier. What's wrong with you guys this side? Hey, you're the ones that had coffee last, I think. Because you're closer to the coffee bar. No. So the thing is that, that we have this life that we are called to live, and, I, and, and there are often challenges in it. But when we live with Christ in mind and Christ as our focus, the things that we go through establishes something in us that has eternal value. But when we take Christ out of the picture, we live for something else as a focus. And those things will pass. They do not last forever. And whatever you are focusing on this morning as the most important thing in your life, if it's not Christ, 
You're wasting all your energy on something that has temporal value. I've got to say that to you. If you're worried about stuff and things and, and yourself, it has temporal value, people. But what is focused and what is done for Christ has eternal value. And we've got to live with that mindset. And so Matthew 5 is where we are going to carry on from. You want to turn there? Take, make sure that your, your neighbor, your friend, your spouse, your children, your whatever next to you or in front of you, they are reading with you. And if you don't have a Bible and you, you really don't have a Bible, please ask us. Seriously, I want to just say that again. If you don't have a Bible to use, please come and ask us. We'll gladly help you with a Bible. It's one of the most important things that people ought to have is a Bible. And then secondly, self-discipline. But that's another story, hey, <laughs> to read the Bible. Anyway, so Matthew 5, verse 38. I'm going to read to you from there. And so this morning is part four on not the law, but the Lord. Verse 38, Jesus is still speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And many of us will say, amen to that. I like that one. Uh-huh. Not all of you, some of you. Some of you are very excited. Hi, Jules. Yeah, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a I love that. Let's just stop the preach right there and not carry on. You want, how many of you want to say amen to that? <laughs> yeah, I want to do it too. Okay, let's talk about that then. Let's see how we can sort out people. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But unfortunately, it seems like there's more to come. All right? Because the next word says B-U-T. But I say to you. Oh, love it when Jesus just interrupts my thinking where I want to go a certain way and he's just like, no, this is the way you ought to go. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. <laughs> do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do you all have how many cheeks? Huh? Just check again. You want to check your neighbor? If they have. It says, turn the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. <laughs> we'll talk about that just now. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Some of you don't know how far a mile is. It's one point what? Six kilometers. How many? Some of you don't even know how far 1.6 kilometers is. It's far enough. Okay, don't worry. It says in verse 42, give to the one who begs from you. Lovely. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Amen. You want to go back to the iron for an iron and a tooth for a tooth and just stay there? Uh-huh. You prefer that, eh? <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to stay there. We've got to carry on and read the rest. So, yeah, Jesus teaches not a law, but an attitude. So, we've got to... <laughs> this is what Jesus often does. He just disrupts our world and he goes right into the core of things, into our hearts. And so this morning, he's going to do that again. So please bear with me and make sure that your neighbor does not leave halfway through this preach. Because right at the end, there will be some help provided. But only at the end. <laughs> All right. So Jesus does this. He says, I'm going to teach you about an attitude that you don't have the right to avenge yourself. Because it, the law did allow for that. It says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which really is like measured justice. So you do this to me, I was allowed to do the same to you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many of you have lost your teeth so far? 
Um, no, because of that. Yeah, it's like somebody punches you, you lose. Hopefully none of you have lost your eyes because of that. But the thing is this, that somebody once said, if we live in this world, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we, the old law for an eye of this, an eye for an eye actually leaves everyone blind. If we, if we live like that. That's the philosophy you want to live with. Then that's fine. But you're going to find yourself soon quite blind. Because that's our natural tendency, is to pay back what was done against me. If anything is done against you, you want to reciprocate. You want to, huh? isn't it? You want to do the same. I heard just somebody uh, this week, I heard that them, they were getting upset with the fact that when they drive at night, and, and you know, headlights and bright and dim, you know, when somebody doesn't want to uh -huh, dim their lights, you want to give them a brighter light that they can, oh, you, you, that one is like a bright. I heard somebody this week installed new lights on their vehicle so that they could be ready um, to have brighter lights. I will not disclose the identity of that person because he's here. But anyway, um, but just the fact is that we have this tendency. Thanks for sharing that with me, the other person. Anyway, we have this tendency that we want to avenge. Eh? Well, ah, you do that to me, buddy. Ha <laughs> ha, take this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So the point is this. Jesus comes and he says, ah, ah, that's not the law. I'm going to teach you a new attitude that you ought to live with. And it's by your attitude that you will become known as my people. So Jesus is talking right into the context of followers of Christ. There happened to be other people listening on. But he was talking to his disciples saying, guys, this is how I want you to live. This is not for everybody. This is for us. You can't go and say, but, 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 no, no, no. Just, yeah, look close home. And, and, and Jesus raises the bar, as we can see. He calls on us to remove any form of revenge from our thinking. He should, he's saying that we, that we should not let the desire to get even dominate our lives. Instead, his heart of forgiving should dominate our lives. So in this, in this section here, we have those four items that we're going to get to now. But there's an introductory principle that leads us into these four um, things that we want to talk about. And this introductory principle is this thing. I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Well, and there's a lot of controversy about this one. Because some people then say, well, when we as Christians should be pacifists. We should just, when, when they come and they want to rob me and steal of me, I should just... Hey, buddy, can I make you a cup of tea while you're breaking into my house? What do you prefer to drink? Huh? And there's some people that think like that. They said, man, no, we shouldn't have armies. We shouldn't have a national defense force. Or we shouldn't have police that enforce the law. We should just not resist evil. Let evil just come and, welcome. <laughs> I just bought a new TV. I'm so glad you've come because I actually don't like it. You want to have it? That's <laughs> obviously not what all of us would like to do, hey? And so, well, I want to first of all tell you what Jesus did not mean by this statement. Is that okay? Because there are things that we need to clarify. What did he mean and what he did not mean? The first thing that he does not mean is that we, he does not teach that we are to be pacifists in the sense of not defending ourselves. He's not implying that when someone does harm to us, robs us, attacks us, or, or a loved one, that we should not resist and allow them to do whatever they want. 
It is wrong to take these words to mean that soldiers should not fight in just wars or that police officers should not fight crime or that courts should not change or charge and punish criminals. That's not what Jesus is teaching. In actual fact, there are many other verses where he, where he confirms that. And he, and he says in Romans 13, we should have civil government that has certain laws in place. How many of you like laws? <laughs> he said, you guys are amazing. That's bad. Just one hand. I thought that was a hand, or otherwise that you scratch your head there, Daniel. Oh, that was a great. He did his hand. Well done. Somebody likes laws, but laws are there to protect us. And so Jesus says, hey, you need to understand that civil government is there. He also teaches in, uh, through Paul in Romans. He says, you've got to detest and abhor what is evil. So in one sense, he's saying, oh, don't resist it. But in the other sense, Paul writes, and he says, abhor, detest what is evil. He also says, do not be overcome by evil, Paul again in Romans 12, 21. He says, but overcome evil with good. So they recognize that there's evil. And there are things that go wrong. In life. Uh-huh. I mean, we, we just hear about all sorts of thing, things going wrong, cable thefts and all of that. That's not pleasant stuff. Do we just say, oh, well, Jesus said we just not resist them. What he does mean is important. And this is what I need to give you this morning. Because it helps us into, this is the introductory principle in what's coming. So he says, what he's implying that evil, when evil come your way, is that, and it's, and it's, found in this wonderful explanation of the Greek word for the word um, resist, which is really anthestime. And it really means this, to set ourselves against us. He says, do not set yourself against the evil that comes. In other words, some translations actually say, do not take a revenge on someone who wrongs you. So when evil comes your way, he's saying, it's not wrong to say, no, I don't want it. But don't set yourself up against what is coming your way. So that you say, uh, you were evil? <laughs> what, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. I'll show you what evil is. So Jesus is saying, don't you respond in what you have received in the same way. We ought not to set ourselves up as the enemy of the person who does us any evil by desiring to do the same to them. And so now it, it leads us into these next four principles that are taught from verse 40 to 42. And uh, we're going to unpack that a bit this morning. All right? So four things that Jesus then, as a way to say to us, listen, don't avenge yourself. Don't set yourself up against evil. And the best way that you can do that is through these four things that I want to show you. All right. So you ready? Just check again on your neighbor, please. This is so important. Because, I mean, we work hard to prepare these sermons. And then you fall asleep. I mean, it's not nice. <laughs> All right. So the first one is in the area of personal respect, where it says the following. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And that's why we have uh, Lady Gaga here this morning. Um, to just introduce us to the fact that we all have cheeks. All right. And so Jesus says, in the area of personal respect, I want you to understand a simple rule. See both cheeks? Huh? She's not cheeky, uh, so excuse the pun. But the point is that Jesus says, when this happens to you, you have to have a certain response. So I wanted to know if there's anybody that we can just demonstrate this with this morning. Um, I mean, none of... The, 
No, you want me to, you want me to hit you? No, don't worry. She's, I wanted, I wanted somebody else that I really want to hit to come up. <laughs> Justin, yes. <laughs> and come and sometimes you wait for the right volunteers. Like, no, no, not you this morning. Yes, you. I'd love for you to come. <laughs> so what happens in, and the, the reason why Jesus uses the story of, of your face and your cheek is that the slap actually refers to here, it was considered to be one of the most insulting things that can be done to another person. Hence the reference to us being disrespected. So Jesus says, when you, don't, when you are called not to avenge yourself, don't let your own personal respect be something that you fight for. Because, he says, in the, in the um, ancient times, they would slap with the closed side of your hand, your right hand, and they would slap a person right across their face. And that would be one of the most insulting ways to treat a person. And Jesus says, well, you know, when that happens to you, I want you to actually turn the other side as well. It's like, man, that's crazy. When he says that we ought to turn the other cheek, he's implying that we, that we lay down our right to be respected. Because it's an incredible insult to hit somebody across the face with an open hand like that. It does not mean that we agree with the injustice done against us. I mean, that, that was not fair. But he says, don't fight for your own honor and your own respect and your own name. But rather be humble and make ourselves vulnerable to be insulted again. It's like, a, ah, again? And this is where really the challenge of dying to ourselves comes in. Because we often quote these verses, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Duh! Oh, that hurt, buddy! So it's a real practical challenge to, to die to ourselves when something like this happens to us. And Jesus says, well, Paul writes in Romans 12. Romans 12 is a beautiful portion of Scripture in this regard. It says in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You want to read that or hear that again? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Again, he's not referring to any form of physical attack on you. He refers to a personal humili humiliation you may go through, and should it happen, not to retaliate. Do, do you know who you've just hit? Do you know who you've done this to? You've absolutely humiliated me in front of everybody. You don't know what you set yourself up for, buddy. Jesus says, no, turn the other cheek and say, well, if you want to further humiliate me, just then go ahead. That's tough, eh? Jesus is implying when we heard earlier on, he said, do not resist the evil. He's actually saying when that happens to you, do not retaliate in the same way. We think of what people may have done to us and adjust our reactions according to what we think will point them to Christ is what our mindset ought to be. So that's why I said to you, this is not a law that Jesus introduces, it's an attitude. Attitude of Christ. Where he says, if I do not retaliate in the way that, that I want to, how will this possibly lead them to actually understand how amazing Christ is? Because ultimately it's not about your honor, 
my respect, my honor. It's about his. It's tough, but it's possible to set aside our petty things and trying to get even. And maybe there are some of you that are battling right now, trying to get even with someone, what they've done. And you've worked out plans. And you know that your greatest joy will not be in finding a, a brilliant plan. And sometimes we laugh about these things. You can't imagine what I did. I sort of did this and I did. You're amazing. You got even. No, there's nothing like sweet revenge. There's this quote that everybody walks around. Oh, revenge will be sweet. Now, you know what? It's going to turn out to be incredibly bitter at the end of the day. Nobody tells us that. We kind of believe that the world says, revenge will be sweet. No, no, actually, at the end of the day, you're going to be left with an incredibly bitter taste in your mouth. Because God is not going to be there in that. Don't, don't thank Jesus for great plans to get even, hey? Because it's the end of him. It's not from him. The second area that we need to discuss from this portion is the area of, of personal fairness. So, so here we have the area of personal respect, the cheek thing. The next one is the area of personal fairness where, where Jesus says this, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, and in, in the ancient times a tunic was kind of like your, your shirt that you always wore. It's kind of like a t-shirt that you wore around always, you know. Let's bring it into our context. And then on top of that, you had a, a jacket or a, or a cloak. And so Jesus says, it's going to work. I don't want to. Where's the wiring? Oh, yeah, you go. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if anyone sues you for um, your tunic or your shirt, let him have your cloak as well. So in the Bible, the outer garment was to be considered so basic a thing that man, a man wasn't uh, to be allowed to go without it. And so to therefore be sued for the inner garment and then to throw in the outer garment as well is equal to giving up the most demands, the most basic demands of justice. So you want to take everything now? My inner and my outer? Well, okay. You can have it. And Jesus is really telling us to be prepared to give up our right to fairness even before it's asked of us to go ahead and give the person what they want and then give them more than what they want. <laughs> so if somebody takes you to court and it's like, okay, you know what? All these things are not that valuable to me. And so actually Jesus is saying, yeah, we can try to fight and we can try to, and I'm not talking about unreasonable I mean, first of all, we shouldn't be taken to court. You should live in such a way that you shouldn't be sued, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> and that, that our word is our word, like we spoke last week, that when you said you said you will do this, you'll do it, and then what you said you will give, you'll give, that you don't have to be taken to court, uh, particularly amongst brothers. But if it so happens that, hey, he sued me for my inner garment, my inner shirt, oh, well, I'm not going to take it off now, so you're happy about that, hey, um, that, that I'll just give you my my cloak as well. And so if an unbeliever takes a Christian to court for unjust reasons, the Christian is not to have a spirit of bitterness and revenge. The person who seeks to take from us in such a case may indeed take advantage of us. But there's a man called Charles Spurgeon. He wrote the following. He said, better to lose a suit of cloth than to be drawn into a suit in law. Rather to let 
oh well, didn't take this. Let me do that to resolve the issue. You take whatever it is then that you want to take. But you know what? My personal fairness, I'm not going to fight for. Oh, that's unjust. And I know many times it is unjust. But at the end of the day, we're not fighting for anything personal. We want to stand for what is right before Him. So Jesus comes and He says, you don't fight evil with evil. You fight evil by not standing up against it and fighting with the same kind of revenge in your heart. But saying, well, if you want it, take it. And what's more, we communicate to the one suing us that we have a different set of priorities and values in Christ than the people of this world have. This does not mean that a Christian is not to defend himself in court if you are to go to court. But we know that you, because we know uh, Paul defended himself when he was using legal uh, means to defend himself and spreading the gospel. But the Christian is not to have a revengeful heart. For God will take care of us should we be sued. Sued. That's where we've got to put our faith in. Because I think that's the, that, that's the danger for us is that we become so tied up with our personal stuff and personal dignity and, and things that we want to fight for that and actually we lose our reputation in the, in the process. And we walk out, ha, he didn't take my tunic, <laughs> sorted him out. But I actually maybe brought damage to the kingdom of God in the process. So we've got we to gotta ascertain these things. And, and in wisdom with many other people, we walk these things through. Because each situation may be complex and different. And I want to make a blanket rule and say, I'll let anybody just come and take whatever they want. But we've got to, first of all, have an attitude that says, God, I don't want to fight for what I think is more important than you. Oh, you saying that song, Christ is enough. Gee, that's a big one, that, hey? Remember, it does not refer to being sued for something you deserve, but the undeserved reasons. I'm not saying if you've done wrong and somebody sues you for having done them wrong that you're like, oh, how can you use this one? I'll just kind of try to get out of it. If you've been deservedly sued, then you've got to walk through that repentance and, and walk it you know, out with God and the people. I'm talking about undeserved things. The next one is, is an area of personal freedom. So we spoke about personal um, respect, personal fairness, what is fair to me and what is not. The next one is in the personal freedom. Because it says here, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And so in the context, again, Jesus uses these stories for a reason or these illustrations. It's not just a random thing that he comes up. Because the Roman Empire controlled the world. And anybody that was, was not a Roman person, if the Roman soldier, for instance, one way of illustrating this, would find himself walking a distance and he needed to carry stuff, he could get any Jew to carry it for him. And say, listen, buddy, I need you to help me. Not, I didn't even probably ask. You just said, you're going to carry. And they had the right to do it at least to demand for it for one mile. So you're going to carry whatever it is that we need to carry, one mile. And so Jesus comes. And, and he, I mean, we know the story, actually, an illustration of that is Simon of Cyrene that had to carry the cross for Christ. Remember? And whether it was one mile or not, that's not the issue. Is that they could, hey, you come here. Come carry this. And Simon didn't have an option. Okay. 
I'll carry it. And so Jesus is saying that the law required that such a person could only be forced by a soldier to carry such a burden for one Roman mile. Now imagine this being, being, this being done, and after the effort of doing this for one mile, you go back and, and some oldest, oldest, maybe you go back after you've done it, and there's another soldier that also needs you. Imagine just the confusion. Hey, buddy, I've just done it. Don't ask of me again. I'm just your buddy there, Clavicius or whatever his name is. He just held, he just made me walk this one mile. I'm returning home now. Yeah, I don't care. You just imagine that. That's quite strange, eh? But even better, imagine if you had done it your best for one mile and now you offer to do it for the second mile. You're under no obligation to do it again. You've done what legally you're required to do. Imagine. The, the Roman soldier asking you, what's wrong with you, buddy? <laughs> like, are you, you sure? She said, okay, that's how far I needed to go. I've done my bit. Thank God I'm out of this mess. Oh, these Romans. All right, no, 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 let's. Jesus says I need to do it a, another mile. And I'll do it gladly. Not just forcibly. I'm forced to do it. But I'll do it voluntarily because I want to bring honor to my king. So how do I not resist evil? I overcome it by doing good. So you ask me for one mile, government saying do it this way. Okay, well, let's try to do it even better. You know, do it in such a way that will honor God. So this is what they say. The first, the first mile is done out of law. Second mile is done out of love. So that's where we live in this world where there are these demands on us. Where we are forced to do things according to the law. First mile. The second mile is, is now in our hands. This one we, I have to do. First one you can't get away from. Eh? Second mile is your choice. And so this is where <laughs> where it really becomes evident whether we're followers of Christ or not. It's in the second mile. First mile, ah, man, everybody has to do it. But it's the second mile that makes us stand out. Not because we want to stand out, but because we want to honor our king. And so Jesus teaches this, that you give up your right to freedom in order to serve from the heart. And so that's why we say, we overcome by saying, my freedom I have. I don't have to do the second mile. Nobody says you have to. Jesus says it's not a law. It's an attitude. It's an attitude that nobody else may know about. But it glorifies him. The first mile everybody can see. The second mile nobody may see. Only him. But I still do it. Because I love him. I glorify him. The last one is in the area of personal property. And so I thought, how do I describe personal property or illustrate it? I thought, mm, sometimes we kind of put our personal possessions and things like this, isn't it? You know, um, whether it's money or jewelry or whatever. Um, this is not the safest money boxes or whatever. But it's just the idea of that Jesus addresses the area of personal property. When he says, I want you not to avenge yourself. I don't want you to fight against the evil. I want you to have a certain attitude. And he says this, 
uh, and the fourth one, he says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse one who would borrow from you. This is a lovely one. I think we're going to skip that one because the implications are just far-reaching, isn't it? You want to amen now? You want to go home? Because, I mean, we're really ready for lunch, isn't it? It's like, sorry, God, we ran out of time. We couldn't cover the fourth one. Oh, man. <laughs> we would prefer that, isn't it? Uh, and we're not going to skip it. Say to your neighbor, we're not skipping this one today. Focus. Yeah, they wanted to go. It wasn't you. It was your neighbor that wanted to go. All right. So Jesus is saying, don't hold on to what belongs to you with a tight fist. Because it really doesn't belong to you anyway. It's all years. <laughs> We're not going to take up another offering right now, so don't worry, okay? But really, Jesus is not saying, let's just first of all say what Jesus is not saying. Because this could also become a burden for some people. Jesus is not saying to whoever, whoever asks you for something, give them exactly what they ask. Can we just read that again? Does it say it? Give to one who begs from you and do not refuse one who would borrow from you. So it doesn't say give to the one exactly what he begs from you. But just, I think one of the dangers in our world is that there are so many beggars with all due respect that we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to everybody. We don't want to give anything to them, never mind attention. So could we just start by saying, give to one who begs from you just your attention? Do you think that will be helpful? I'm speaking to myself. Give to the one who begs from you just your attention, first of all. It's probably one of the most costly things in life. It's just Focus! Attend to the person. Just show an interest in them. And even if you say, I have nothing to give you, my friend. There's this wonderful story. Peter and John coming back from the temple, and there's a beggar next to the road, and they, hey, silver and gold we have, but what we have we'll give to you. And that is faith in Christ. Even just saying, and I, I have no idea what you're going through, my friend. Maybe it's very tough. I have... But I, have, I really don't have anything to, to give. And if you're lying, then you've got to get over that one too. But if you don't want to give, that's, that's your call. But you don't have to. What you need to give, first of all, is, is, is an interest in people. And then on top of that, if you're able to, open this thing up and take something out. Then give. Sometimes we need to discern. I think that's why Jesus says, don't give exactly what people are, because exactly what they need is not what they should have. Isn't it? He does, not, he does say not to turn such a person away. That's what he does say. He does not say give everything that they want. But he does say, don't turn them away. Don't just, ah, get away, man. It may not be the right thing to give them what they ask, but, but when they ask, give them something. That something could be, again, it's, this is not a law. This is an attitude. And we live, I know, we go around here in this town. And that's the hovers of opportunity where you're confronted with this reality. And so what we often do is we, we detest, you know, what comes our way and we just in the same way respond. 
And I know that there are people that take you for I've been taken for a ride many times. But you know what? I've never suffered as a, as a result of that, by the way. I can tell you many stories of how we've, <laughs> some plenty. So in South Africa, stories that I heard a guy coming to my house just telling me this elaborate story. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. I've got to help this guy. Two weeks later, I hear the same, a friend going through the same <laughs> story of the <laughs> person with the same story arriving at his house. But we've got to meet the real need. We've got to show mercy. We've got to say, I, I won't give you money, but I, I would like to do what I can. And maybe I can buy you a meal. Maybe whatever. But we've got to just somehow try to step away from just this blunt approach that I have. Maybe it's just me. No, that's, Sorry, I can't hear you. Closed windows. Driving away. Sorry. Uh-huh. And, and maybe there's something in our box. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's just attention and interest and love and care and mercy. That we can open the box. So I'm going to try. Just simple things. Jesus also says, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn him away. And again, he doesn't say that we ought to give him what he asks because that may not be the right thing to do. But he does say that we're not to turn such a person away if they want to borrow. Like, okay, let's, let's talk. And maybe it's not the right thing for you to get the money from you, but maybe we can talk about why you are in need of the money. Maybe something went terribly wrong and, and, and it was just poor financial management that led you to the point where you now have to borrow. And let's talk it through because I'm actually more interested in you than just giving you and getting you kind of rid of. We're not, listen to this, we're not to see the things we own as our personal property that we must keep to ourselves. But we see ourselves as the stewards of that which belongs to God and to allow God's things to be used for the advancement of God's work and for the good of others. It's a long statement, hey? Yeah, it's in the notes. So it really is saying, whatever I have is not mine. And when I am able and privileged to steward it, because all you have is because of God's grace, and what he wants of us to do with that is to steward it well so that he will be glorified, his kingdom can be established, and that others can be helped. It's not so that I can... Remember what we said right at the beginning? Could we go to CT Stud again quickly there, please, Em? He says, only one life, and soon all that will pass. But only what's done for Christ will last. And so all of the stuff that you have, friend, or don't have, whatever, all of the things that we have at our disposal is, is really not to give us some sort of a life beyond what we're currently experiencing. It's all temporary. All that we fight for and all of the, ah, oh, no, it's not yours, it's mine, and, and oh, I've got to work harder so I can have something when, I, when I, I'm older, whatever. It's, it's nothing that I should hold on to that becomes my security. It's, it's all about Him. And, and we're in the series about the king and I. And so it's what is more valuable to him? And what is more valuable to him is an attitude, not possessions. 
And so when it comes to these four areas, we, we say my personal respect, what people think of me. If, if I have to hit, be hit twice, then so be it. If it's my personal fairness that I'm going to fight for what is fair. They, they can't take both my inner tunic and my outer cloak. It's fine. They can have that because God will look after me at the end of the day. I can do only one mile. Jesus said, no, no, do another one. My personal freedom I'll put on the line so that Christ will be glorified. My personal possessions that I've worked so hard for. These things have taken a long time to accumulate. He says, you know what? Be ready to give. And I'm not saying God gave everything away. Oh, there's a beautiful story I, I heard of. Friends of ours, they're building a church in South Africa. They've just basically completed and now they can't even have people come and meet in it. Anyway, it's a massive building, probably about 2,000 seater. And, and he was telling the story of this church about 15 years ago. The, the man who leads it is in Pretoria. The church is in Pretoria. He used to be from a place called Durban. How many of you know where Durban is? Uh-huh. All right. It's good. It's by the coast. You know the sea? Uh-huh. So he was in a church in Durban, and 15 years ago, they asked him to come to this church in Pretoria that's now just finished this new building, and, and they said, come and talk to us about generosity, would you? Just want to come and help us understand what biblical generosity really means. And so he said, okay, I'll come. And so he was sitting in the church 15 years ago, true story, and the bank balance in the church down in Durban was 2 million rand that they had about in the bank. And he called the elders together and he said, guys, yeah, i got to go speak about generosity to the guys in Pretoria. It just doesn't feel right to go and speak to them about that when I'm sitting with two million rand in our bank account. And so what happened was he goes up to Pretoria and as he walks into the meeting, he gets a message on his cell phone that said, Two million rand deposited into the, this church where he's gone to go speak at from their church. They've cleared their bank balance. Said, so no, if we talk about it, let's do it. Let's be generous. And so he was just using that story to say, well, God has brought us to be able to finish this church because of the generosity of God's people and the principle of generosity. And when we look at all these areas in our lives where there's a fair measure of generosity required. Where I'm generous with, it's not my reputation. It's not my things that I want to hold on to that I think, you know, it wasn't fair. It's not my time. I'll do the extra. It's not my possessions or my property that's important. It is Him. It is the King and I. And we're on this journey together where I want to overcome stuff around me with a good God inside of me. Because ultimately, the last slide here just reminds us of those five words. But I say to you, I want to leave that with you this morning. As we just close this moment of gathering together and saying, in whatever area of your life you, you're really battling, and those four things that we've just spoken about this morning, our respect, fairness, freedom and property and possessions. God is, if you're feeling like you've, that's become a focus in your life, just read those words again. But I say to you, 
And let that I, who is Jesus, penetrate your heart this morning and turn a stubbornness or a, a determination not to let anything be taken from me or my dignity be, be ruined and what people think of me. I'm going to fight for that. Let's just say, God, I want to give it all to you and let you be God in my life today and every other moment of my life. I want to pray for any one of you right now that as we close this moment, that if there's any area in your life of what we've just spoken of this morning, you'll say, God, I, I want you to interrupt with your values, your principles, and not what I prefer. I'm willing, Lord God, to lay down my own dignity. I'm willing, Lord God, to lay down the fairness that I expect to come my way. I'm willing to let, down my, to let go of my freedom where I can determine I'll just do the law, but you actually want me to do the, the next action out of love. I'm prepared, Lord God, to, to listen to people, to help where I can, but I'm really stirred by you to, to be generous, that I'll rather err on the, on the area of, of generosity than, than holding on to what I think I should keep. God, I, I pray that there will be no condemnation upon any person regarding all these four areas. But Father, that you will convict us where we need to make adjustments. In any area, Lord God, that's, written, that's illustrated through these objects. I pray that whatever adjustment needs to come this morning and from this morning, that we will be prepared to say, adjust me, my God. Please adjust me. Change in me what needs to be changed. That's all I'm asking of you this morning. Just make that declaration to the Lord. It's between you and Him. Just say, whatever area it is, just say, God, please change what needs to be changed. Just right now, in your quietness of your own heart, just let Him know. Just say, Jesus, whatever adjustment needs to come in my life in relation to any of these areas, please make that adjustment. And let God be glorified. You don't tell anybody about this. You just go and do it and live it. Amen. Amen. Only what is done for Christ will last. May we live with that every single day of our lives. It's good to love. It's good to care. It's good to work. It's good to make sure your family is well fed. But make sure that the most important thing in your life is what is done for Christ, for Him only. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Looking forward to uh, just enjoying what God has for us in this week to come. And uh, keep well.